My name is Yulia Motok, and I'm a judge of the European Court of Human Rights and a professor of international law at the University of Bucharest. My lecture today will be about human rights in Central and Eastern Europe, and particularly about the process of the democratization of Central and Eastern Europe on the influence of the European Court of Human Rights. The European Court of Human Rights has played a key role in the process of democratizations the Eastern European countries since the fall of totalitarian regimes. With each country's accession to the Council of Europe and implementation of the European Convention on Human Rights, states have recognized the importance of the cooperation between their national legal orders and the jurisprudence developed in Strasbourg. This relationship has stood as a basis from legal, political and social development of Eastern European nation and must be examined just how wide the impact of the European Convention and the case law developed by the European Court of Human Rights has been and continues to be in the maintenance of the democratic system in this state. This state from the Eastern Front of Europe, due to its own historical and regional influences, has a unique manner of implementing and applying the Convention's regulations. Nevertheless, all countries have an equal interest in the respecting of the breadth of the Convention. The accession to the European Convention of Human Rights occurred after the end of the totalitarian regime in Eastern Europe. To paragraph Hannah Arendt, we can say that the end of the totalitarian regime in Eastern Europe had brought back human dignity and also universality of human rights. Although this regime had had different intensities in all countries, they manifested themselves through the totalitarian movement to disregard individual rights. On this historical backdrop, it became obvious that the new democratical regimes set up in each country emphasized the necessity of respecting individual human rights and rely on both national and international forums to protect their found right-oriented democratic values. My first part will be about the role of the Constitutional Court. The role of the National Judiciary is essential in the relationship between the European Court of Human Rights and the process of democratization in Eastern Europe, as the Constitutional Courts have great influence in national implementation of the Convention norms. After 1989, Constitutional review by constitutional courts and constitutional tribunal was established in all former communist countries of the region. In some countries, this body achieved a high level of independence, power, and prestige. The primary aim was to have a body that would guarantee the observance of constitutional rights. The design of such body was not specifically tailored in the post-communist context, but was modeled on institutions in liberal democracies in West, in particularly Western Europe. That is, the court was in every instance a specially established constitutional body with the exclusive competence to declare laws unconstitutional. Its decisions were to made primary on an abstract basis and were final. Only in Estonia was constitutional review entrusted to a department of the highest court, and even there, if one analyzes the details of the institutional setting, this exception to the post-communist Central and Eastern European practice of having a separate institution was more a matter of appearance than a reality. In the great majority of cases, the constitutional courts engage in both abstract and concrete review, 
concrete in the sense that they answer questions on constitutionality coming from the other ordinary courts when particular cases present constitutional issues. The relationship between the constitutional courts and the European Court of Human Rights varies from one Eastern European state to another. As a response to the injustice of the colonist period and the clear disregard for individual liberties, many of these states have incorporated their newly democratic constitution provisions specifically dedicated to assuring respect of human rights and fundamental freedom. Thus, in many of these states, the European Court of Human Rights becomes a supranational piece of legislation which oversees and completes, in a way, the protection of individual liberties, which is regarded with the same importance both nationally and internationally. In many countries, the constitutional courts will apply and refer to the convention law regularly and in parallel with their own system of human rights protection. In some countries, as Albania, Bosnia-Herzegovina, Serbia, the Constitutional Court often make reference, makes reference to the jurisprudence in the European Court of Human Rights, considering it on seminal influence for the development of the regulation in their own states. The courts of other countries, like Poland, Lithuania and Latvia, have also recognized that there is no difference between the protection awarded to rights in their constitution and the one in the convention, and that the European Court of Human Rights produces binding judgment which must be applied regularly by the national courts of the member states. The majority of countries take into account the European Court of Human Rights case law as ground for their own decision but do so in different ways and with different intensities. The Convention is more than any other international treaties and granted a special quasi-constitutional status among member states of the Council of Europe. For instance, in Albania and Montenegro, which have adopted special constitutional provision to emphasize the importance of the European Convention of Human Rights. In Latvia, the Constitutional Court is also influenced by the European Court of Human, Convention of, Court of Human Rights case law, using it as a tool of interpretation of, the, uh, of cases in the Supreme Court. With the aid of Strasbourg jurisprudence, Latvia had developed a, uh, has developed a le domestic legal doctrine which is in line with the one of the European Court of Human Rights and avoid the risk of domestic and international separating into conflicting decisions. Romania is another example of state where there is an ongoing and processing dialogue between the Constitutional Court and the European Court of Human Rights. A clear evolution of the legal thinking can be seen within the Romanian National Courts from the time when the European Convention of Human Rights legal influence and, and existence were barely acknowledged to the frequent reliance of the European Convention of the European Court of Human Rights case law. For example, in 1994, the national courts had made a first authentic reference to the Strasbourg jurisprudence, ascertaining the unconstitutional of the Article 200 of the Criminal Code prohibiting the relation between homosexuals due to the incompatibility with the Article 8 of the Convention. Later national Romanian decisions have also shown the willingness of the Constitutional Court 
to amend its practices on the basis of the principle arising for the European Court of Human Rights Jurisprudence. The National Judiciary has amended its administrative jurisdictional procedure over time to better conform with Article 6 and 14 of the Convention. Nevertheless, the subsequent period of increasing appeal to Strasbourg case law has brought with it some instances where the Constitutional Court explicitly contradicts the European Com Convention of Human Rights Jurisprudence. In this situation, the European Court of Human Rights has repeatedly declared that, unfortunately, as the inconsistency between the courts made in general is not incumbent upon the court to examine the factual and the legal errors committed by domestic courts. The decision of Dumitru Popescu versus Romania, and also we can see in Panta versus Romania. In all this, a real mutual benefits can be witnesses into the relationship between the Romanian Constitutional Court and the European Court on Human Rights. In the last decade, the Constitutional Court comes to using the European Court of Human Rights case law in extension in order to substantiate and bring more legitimacy with their decision. At the same time, the European Court of Human Rights had also started to take account of the national judicial opinion informing their decision concerning Romania and has adopted in many judgments the principle enunciated by the National Constitutional Court. My second part will be about judicial independence. The right to be tried by an independent and impartial judiciary is a seminal right, which should be guaranteed in a democratic state. This liberty is codified in the European Convention of Human Rights and is a component of Article 6, right to a fair trial. The problem of an impartiality of decision-makers is a fundamental issue in some Eastern European countries. Corruption in some of these states has reached concerning quotas and has even seeped into the judicial system, thus is there still need for serious work to be done in such places to assure the democratic guarantees of an independent judiciary. While many countries have indeed implemented national legislation and practices to better police whether the judiciary is impartial, the European Court of Human Rights, through its case law, further guides the domestic effort to strengthen the guarantees of a fair trial enshrined in Article 6. Croatia is a good example on how the accession to the European Courts of Human Rights or Convention of Human Rights and further the democratization process in Eastern European countries. For Croatia and its pol political interest in the EU and the European Convention of Human Rights, the country has undergone major legislative and institutional reform of this judiciary in order to strengthen the independence, accountability, impartiality and professional standards as should be guaranteed under the Article 6 of the European Convention of Human Rights. In order to remedy the inherent problems which have caused an abundant number of applications to be filed, filled by, against Latvia at the European Court of Human Rights, the government enacts in 2005 a new uh, procedural, criminal procedural law. Among others, this law represents a further guarantee toward judicial independence, introducing the position of investigative judge which is independent of a judicial panel of a case and will secure the observance of human rights standards in criminal proceedings. Criminal proceeding law of Lithuania has also been enormously influenced by the cases of the European Court of Human Rights, 
which have urged many changes in regards of the strengthening of procedural guarantees in accordance with Article 6. The case of doctors gave rise to the resolution of the Committee of Ministers in 2004, which reiterates and applies the procedural requirements of neutrality in the body which decides whether a decision should be adopted or quashed. This decision has directly contributed to the important legislative change in Lithuania, strengthening the guarantees of the court's independence and impartiality. In Poland, the establishment of independent courts was a key element in the process of democratization. The European Court of Human Rights decisions, once again, have strengthened this process in Poland by flagging the procedural errors within the legislation and encouraging reform. The Court has repeatedly ruled that the provision of the organization of the Courts Act regulating the status of judicial assessors were incompatible with the guarantees of Article 6 because they were appointed and empowered without question by the Ministry of Justice while at the same time not having any safeguard against the arbitrary removal by the same minister. The Polish legislators could not negate the lack of the due process in this matter and follow the abolishing of the institution of judicial assessor in 2009. In the year following the Romanian ratification of the European Convention of Human Rights, the court had criticized its legal order which was guarantees wide powers to the Prosecutor General, enabling him to lodge an appeal in the annulment of the final decision to his discretion, the case Brumorescu versus Romania. The court identified this practice as a power which has wrongly resisted to the fall of communist regime and which not cause issues with the impartiality and legal certainty. This judgment has determined the amendment of the Code of Civil Procedures, the provision concerning the appeal in the annulment being repealed. Many of the initial cases brought in the front of the European Court of Human Rights against Russia concern problems within the Russian judicial system. As the court jurisdiction in the Russian Federation is very wide, it became very important to secure respect for basic human rights principles under Article 6, like assuring judicial independence. Pursuing the European Convention of Human Rights jurisprudence on the matter, the Russian Supreme Court has laid down many procedural safeguards and has published advisory norms that ensure that federations keep with the jurisprudence Strasbourg Court judgment. Even more, in 1999, the circular number C17 says SP, SMP, the Supreme Commercial Court, has detailed all the procedural and substantial requirements, including the rights to the frail trial, as stemming for the Convention and the Strasbourg jurisprudence, and has ordered all lower courts, all lower courts to take careful account of these aspects when reaching their decision. The third part will be about the right to liberty and security. The right to liberty and security of a person is a fundamental freedom within the European Convention of Human Rights in, uh, in Article 5. It is fundamental in a democratic state that citizens are being protected against arbitrary detention. In the process of renouncing, renouncing totalitarian regime and democratization, these nations have built their national new, new constitutional system, amongst other, on the principle protected under Article 5 of the European Convention of Human Rights. 
The European Court of Human Rights case law related to the liberty and security of the person has strongly impacted the substantive and procedural legal changes in this regard in Eastern European over the last 20 years. Practically in all states, at the moment of the entry into the Convention, automatic and long detention on the remand of these those arrested was the legal norms. The legal reality of the moment is far different from what it was then. As person that jurisprudence in Strasbourg, all states recognize that, that to the extent the legal obligation of taking into consideration the right of free to freedom of those convicted. There is an now a theoretical consensus that prior to each detention or preventing detention, decision must, uh, must have been a necessity and a proportionality assessment. The European Court of Human Rights has had a major impact in flagging the procedural deficiencies of practices in criminal trials, thus in maintaining the newly implemented democratic practices in, of this matter alive. Following the cases of Sulaoja in 2005, Pilhak in 2005, and Malkov in 2010, Estonia now operates strictly enforceable time limits and procedural safeguards regarding pretrial detention and pending hearings. It's also a lot harder than than was before to motivate detention extension, as clear reason must be given by state official as a matter of law. Thus, the Strasbourg Court considers a clear reasoning a seminal factor in judging whether an arrest is arbitrary or not. Russia has generated many cases in the European Court of Human Rights due to the frequent order within national courts of pretrial detention as the only available restrictive measure. The European Court of Human Rights decision of this matter have determined a fortunate change within the Russian detention practices, which it has materialized in the Resolution 29 in October 2009. This can also be seen in Latvia, when the European Court of Human Rights has challenged the apparently indiscriminate application of detention as a preventive measure, the case Estrich versus Latvia. Cases against Lithuania have demonstrated how the European Court of Human Rights has played a major role in the democratization of ex-communist states. Poland's new Code of Criminal Procedure is also an example of the influence of the European Court of Human Rights uh, that the European Court of Human Rights has had in the maintenance of the democratic regime. Due to the recurrent criticism throughout the Strasbourg case law, the legislation in Poland was amended and taken away the power to impose pretrial detention from the prosecutor and instead to transfer it to an independent court. In 2012, Ukraine has also envisaged a new code of criminal procedures to amend its problem with unauthorized detention. After the European Court of Human Rights has repeatedly found legal lacunas which are in violation of Article 5 of the Convention, as to the period of detention not covered by any court order, the prescription of the pretrial detention and the lack of reasoning of the extension orders in Karashenko versus Ukraine. The Ukrainian government deemed the new procedures as a necessity in a state governed by democratic principles. The fourth part will be about the right to protection of property, Article 1, Protocol 1. Another fundamental right codified in the conventions concern the right to property protected by Article 1 of Protocol 1. 
It is evident that in ex-communist countries, this right was completely disregarding through the process of forced centralization and nationalization of, of land. The subsequent process of democratization manifests itself to an extent through the need to depart from communist history and guarantee both internationally and internationally and internationally that there is a judicial system which protects the rights to property. In this sense, the process of democratization in Eastern Europe states concerned the European Court of Human Rights through the abundant case law in of restitution of properties. One of the main states to, uh, to bring these cases in the international forum is the Czech Republic. In Druvesti, the court emphasized the importance of protecting the rights to property in a market economy. It has thus stated that although the contracting states enjoy the margin of appreciation to control the use of property in accordance with the general interest, this margin will be scrutinized though that it does not infringe the essence of the rights protected under Article 1, Protocol 1. Even more, the judgment in Pinkova and Pink from 2002 holds in an irreplaceable position in the treatment of restitution in the Czech Republic. Here, the courts note that a good face on the behalf of the applicant is a requirement in the holding of the, his rights under Article 1, Protocol 1. Return of property confiscated under the communist regime was also a major concern in Romania at the time it ratified the Convention. Due to the beneficial influence of the European Convention of Human Rights, domestic legal provision governing return of property has undergone repeated amendments since 1991, when it was initially set up. The European Court of Human Rights has, through the judgment, not only identified the procedural shortcomings in the Romanian legal order, but also urged the state to take a responsible measure which would render national restitution mechanism effective and compliant with Article 1, Protocol 1, Brumorescu uh, and Maria Danasiu and other versus Romania. Lithuania is another example of state where both the national authorities and the European Court of Human Rights have been trying to mitigate the harsh effect of communism by trying to restore property rights through a land reform legislation. The court here, as in the case of the Czech Republic, recognizes that the nationalization process was an unfair and illegal one implemented by the Soviets and that is a margin of appreciation awarded to national authorities to choose a suitable method for compensation for applicants in these circumstances. Case of Jasiwane versus Lutenia. The Strasbourg authorities will monitor the application of such measures of compensation and will find a violation in the domestic remedies are unduly delayed and never implemented altogether. This restoration process commenced by the Lithuanian state is nevertheless a hard one. The European Convention of Human Rights adopts a balanced perspective acknowledging that the process may take time, but requiring that the national authorities actively and effectively work on it, Shub versus Lithuania. Slovakia has also brought many claims in regards to breaches of Article 1, Protocol 1. Even though several laws were already enacted within the former Czechoslovakia with a view of providing redress, this would not be covered or affected by the breach of their right to property in the newly independent state. 
In the first case against Slovakia on this matter, Kopecki, the European Court of Human Rights confirmed that deprivation of property does not generate continuing situation and that the guarantees of Article 1, Protocol 1 extend only to the existing possession, thus don't the, include the right to acquire ownership. The Strasbourg Court has determined that the first provision of the first protocol do not impose any particular obligations on the contracting state as regard redress for infringement of property rights prior to the accession to the Convention. The European Court of Human Rights, in applying the European Convention of Human Rights, one against reinforces the democratization process as to assure the fundamental rights of property without creating an overreaching burden of retrospective restitution, which the contrasting states cannot responsibly be expected to fulfill. I'll finish my lecture by stating about the principle of subsidiarity, which is a central principle of the European Convention of Human Rights, and how this principle worked in the relationship with the democratization in Central and Eastern Europe. The principle of subsidiarity requires that national courts must have an opportunity to consider and redress an alleged violation. If they have not provided redress, an application may be made to the court. Nevertheless, the principle of subsidiarities had been somewhat stretched in the concepts of the European Court of Human Rights intervention in the democratization of Eastern European states. Given the structural reform these countries had to carry out while applying the convention requirements at the same time, it is not surprising the Strasbourg Court had at time no domestic interlocutor. It would be erroneous to suggest that in these circumstances the court was not respecting the principle of subsidiarity as in regard to some of the rights mentioned above. National decision makers were still unable to provide viable and reasonable solution. To mitigate the effect of the past totalitarian order and establish democracy, the European Court of Human Rights had to step and inform the member states of the Eastern European of the practical democratic standards set forward by the Convention. To conclude my lecture, I will say that the process of democratization by the European Court of Human Rights of State of Central and Eastern Europe was a very successful process and it was, it's one very positive side of the European Court of Human Rights. And also that there were not big differences, as is sometimes stated, between the way that the, the court had implemented its fundamental principle in relation to Central and Eastern Europe comparing to the Western Europe.